0: I think just a reminder that it's not a band-aid or some sort of magical balm for all your problems on your campus and off. Um, We've seen this cyclically through the ages. I think it was intergroup dialogues, and then it's restorative Mm -hmm. justice, and that you know it can be brave space. Like, oh, this is you know we're just going to apply brave spaces and we'll be fine. It's not like take two Advil and call me in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. And so the to to get you know building on what Brian was saying that you can't divorce this framework. Uh, And our intentionality from talking about systems of power and privilege and oppression, Um, but I think that some people see it as an easy, an easy way to just like, well, this is a brave space, so you know everything's fine, nobody worry about it. And you're in that way, you're doing the same thing that we encountered twenty years ago with people saying, "This is a safe space, safe space, so everyone needs to be okay with it."
1: Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by Christy Clemens and Dr. Brian Arau, who who developed the Brave Space concept years ago. I'm a big fan. I use it in just about all of my facilitation, whether that is around DEI, curricular approaches, critical masculinity, or even strategic planning and other leadership work with nonprofits. It's one of the slides that's always in the deck. I'm excited to learn more about this, where it came from, and how we can create brave space, and some of the nuances with it. So thanks to you both for being here to talk about this with us today. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Huron, a global professional services firm that collaborates with clients to put possible into practice, and also by LeaderShape. Go to LeaderShape.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, and I help higher ed leaders and organizations make the complex uncomplicated for leadership, learning, and equity can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm recording today from my home in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands and current homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. So Christy and Brian, I'm so glad to have you both here to talk more about this. Um, I'll say a little bit more about my experience with Brave Space here in a moment, but let's learn a little bit more about you. Christy, uh, tell folks who don't know you a little bit more about you.
0: Great. Thanks, Keith. Really glad to be here. My name is Christy Clemens. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I currently serve as the Assistant Vice President and Title IX Coordinator at Dartmouth College, where I've been for almost 15 years in Hanover, New Hampshire. I'm also now the co-director of the Dialogue Project here at Dartmouth, an initiative that just launched last month that provides intentional training to our community in essential collaborative dialogue skills. Uh, So a great little transition from our brave space work and connecting to the other work that I I do here on
1: campus yeah I always know that when people have three titles it means they do good work and they keep getting added responsibilities thrown on top of things so
0: I'm just not going to have a, a business card anymore it's just a running post-it note yes yes well LinkedIn takes care of that that's great
1: <laughs> uh so glad to have you here and talk more about this and how you're putting it into practice there at Dartmouth Brian tell us a little bit more about you
2: well, greetings friends my name's Brian Arrow. I use he him his pronouns uh, I am the president and co-founder of Brave Space Leadership, uh, co-founded with my dear friend Christy here, uh, and we offer executive coaching, consulting, and professional development that is focused on leadership for diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, and belonging. And I uh, started that work after 23 years of working in institution-based higher ed roles. Uh, And uh, I'm very pleased to continue working with higher education primarily through Brace-based leadership, but also getting to work with leaders across multiple industries, uh, which has been really terrific and exciting. And I do that work from Sacramento, California, which is the current and ancestral homeland of the Nishinan, Maidu, Miwok, and Miwok peoples.
1: Awesome. Uh, uh, We were just sharing that we've known each other for 20 years, and Brian and Christy have known each other for longer than that. Um, I know that Brian
2: is a comic book fan, right? That, If you can't tell, those of you on video, you can (laughs) see some artwork behind me. (laughs) So
1: one of the things I love about comic books is the origin story. So let's go into the origin story around Brave Space. So I'll tell you my origin story. I went to an ACPA session in some year at some conference. Um, Didn't know either one of you, but just thought, oh, this looks interesting. And I walked out of that session. I, I don't really remember the session, but I remember walking out and there were a group of colleagues who I knew who had been to other sessions. And I remember saying to them, that's the best ACPA session I've ever been to. And they were like, mm, tell us more. I was just like, that was so great. I changed my thinking. Um, so it completely flipped things. And so um, that was my origin story. But before you got to that session and all the other things that came after, you had some experiences. So Brian, tell us a little bit about what happened before that
2: yeah yeah I feel well, like we're going Christy
1: back to, I, the to the prequel to the prequel
2: the the, right yeah yeah well so so christina yeah we have known each other for a minute um we met each other for the first time as master's students at the university of vermont um uh one year apart but uh hung out quite a bit uh we're very uh very close and, and shared interest in both student affairs work as well as social justice work and so um you know, became fast friends. We collaborated at UVM, uh, and then I trailed Christy uh, to to NYU uh, as well, and so we ended up working there in what was then the Department of Residential Education, and just continued working together. Uh, we would often volunteer and step up to uh, to help lead and coordinate and facilitate around departmental learning initiatives that were focused on social justice, mm-hmm. and. Uh, And in particular, you know, we were the ones who were in charge of designing uh, for one year, the the RA training module that was focused on these issues. So we're really excited about it. And, you know, as per our training as good social justice educators, we did that with uh, the intention at the outset of of, uh, helping to cultivate safe spaces. Uh, And and so that's really what, what the emphasis was before we then asked folks to engage in some pretty challenging social justice learning. And the feedback we started getting back after that session from folks, was it was mixed, right? There are some folks who really enjoyed it, but there was a lot of students who uh, also shared significant concerns about the activity and their experience in it. And all of it really ended up coming back to this idea of safety. from many different students, that they did not feel safe engaging in this activity. Uh, And that was true for students, regardless of identity, Uh, We had students who uh, were primarily operating from salient, dominant group identities, as well as students with marginalized and minoritized identities, who, while their experiences were different, uh, the the reasons why it felt unsafe were quite different based on those identities and the salience thereof. The the shared message around that was, this didn't feel safe. Uh, And you said it would. And we said and we said that it would, right? Uh that's that's how we set things up at the outset of that experience. So, you know, based on that, uh, I mean, Christy and I, you know, uh uh, I think I think we probably hung out in Christy's apartment and cracked open a bottle of red wine and first started beating ourselves up, like we're terrible at this. How how in the world did we manage to to, to do such a bad job, even though you know there were positive outcomes from the training as well? But um but as we started thinking more about it, we really kind of came uh, to, to look more critically at this word safety, because when, when we were asking people to tell us, you know, what is it that that, that felt unsafe, what we heard back was, was not actually that they were in danger, but that they were, um, they were uncomfortable, uh, that they were experiencing, uh, you know, having to think about the previous and current experiences of marginality and oppression were painful, uh, having to look at one's... Uh, ignorance or privilege was scary and painful, and so all those things felt uncomfortable. Right? They 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 required risk taking, and none of those things felt like safety to the students. But they sound like learning. They sound like learning, absolutely, right? Uh, but um, uh, but uh, but again, it didn't sound like safety. And so you know, we really had sort of asking ourselves like maybe maybe part of the issue is just that this language, it's evoking something for the students that's not consistent with what we know will happen when students engage across difference to talk about these issues of diversity, equity, inclusion and social justice. And that's how we really started imagining what maybe we needed to come up with some different language here. Uh, And that's, Mm -hmm. that's really where brave space started uh, as a concept.
0: I think part of what we looked at when we were, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking that particular experience was, was it the activity? Was it the framework? Was it the facilitation? Was it the train the trainer for the facilitator? And so as we thought about, you know, not only developing the framework and having this evolution of ground rules, which we talk about um, as the framework and in the chapter, thinking about how we're preparing facilitators who don't do this kind of work every day, um, you know, thinking about a, a, a group of student affairs professionals who's facilitating throughout an RA training or some other small group, um, how do we give them a tangible tool that helps them to facilitate in a way that's different from just facilitating some other kind of, you know, that we know that these DEI conversations and social justice facilitations require a different approach and a different amount of care. And so, Through our work um, with ACPA's Commission for Social Justice Educators, now Education, I learn, of which the three of us are all former chairs of that commission, um, we were really focused on how do we provide tools to our community, to the student affairs community to say, we know this is hard and we have high expectations for how you'll do this and let's give you a way forward. Let's let's train the trainer, truly. Um and so Brian and I co-wrote a chapter in the book The Art of Effective Facilitation um, that came out in 2013 following uh, somewhere on the shelf there. It's over there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> and I was looking at it over there to make sure I got yeah. the title right. Um the echo just um but that for us, you know, as a project of the commission, lots of great wisdom in that, in that mm-hmm. book monograph, I think we called it. Um, Came a couple of years after the initial presentation that you saw, Keith. And so mm-hmm. I think you know we've been talking about this now for going on twenty years. Um, I'm honestly still surprised. Like I, Brian and you, Keith, you guys are scholars. I'm just a lowly old practitioner. I do not have a doctorate. I'm just over here doing my own thing, right? Um, a thing I think
1: that your Keith intro did. betrays that. But okay, okay, <laughs> I appreciate your humility.
0: But something that Brian and I came up with literally in my apartment in lower Manhattan 20 years ago still has such resonance in the work that we're doing and to watch it find its way through the different parts of our lives and careers um, says to me that we sort of hit on something that was unexpected. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's brain surgery, right? I think it's it's something that we really looked at the experience of the participants, the experiences of the, of the facilitator and said, as we do with most things in student affairs, how can we help? Yeah. And came to a place of of putting this forward into the world. And we're still talking about it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I often talk about the curricular approach is both revolutionary and obvious when I first heard about it. like This is completely turning my world upside down. And once you see it, it's like, well, well, duh. And I feel that way about Brave Space. I mean, I sat in that session and I had been creating safe space and creating safe space and creating safe space. And then I sat there and I was like, oh, that doesn't work. That's actually antithetical to learning and growth and change and transformation. And it gives people a way out, right? You said it would be safe. I feel uncomfortable. I'm out. Mm -hmm. You, You didn't keep your promise, which I think people can... Uh, use an escape as an escape hatch from lots of different perspectives and identities and their trauma or their privilege or, you know, lots of different mm-hmm. things. Uh, mm-hmm. And just this notion that that creating safe space is antithetical to learning is just like so obvious, but also quite revolutionary. And I love that it, it's, it has the shared when I'm working even beyond higher ed with with profits and I talk about this, they're like, ooh, interesting. And I say, you know, for some of you being brave might be sharing a hard truth with the group. For some of you, might being brave might be asking a question. For some of you, being brave might be keeping your hand down and not saying anything and giving other people a chance. That might be really courageous mm-hmm. of you. And how are you going to be brave? And how are you going to listen to others mm-hmm. in ways that helps them be brave, right? Mm-hmm. What, whatever that means? And it just really opens up a lot of possibility. It makes us all responsible not just the facilitator, which I think is so critical to actual facilitation. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how how you all put this into practice. You mentioned ground rules. You mentioned uh, facilitating some of this. Um, Christy, why don't you take us from here?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that's been really interesting to me over the 20 years that this has been out in the world is seeing the different ways that it shows up that it's not just in your traditional student affairs or social justice facilitation. Um, Brian and I regularly get emails from, areas that we'd never expect to um, folks, you know, if there was a student in a counseling program that wanted to use it in a group counseling, group therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, I was contacted by a city in Vermont that wanted to use it as a way to train their municipal employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been doing some consulting with them there. You know, it's, I use it in my work as a Title IX coordinator, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I mean, we, you know, when we're talking about discomfort, versus safety. Um, that is a conversation that I have regularly and, and recognizing for people that sometimes we're going to be in uncomfortable spaces. And that's part of the process. And figuring out how to navigate that, I think, is is critical. And so, you know, for me, in the, the varied roles that I've had in higher education and outside of higher education, it has been a great jumping off point. It's not perfect for every scenario, right? And it's not um, always going to make the most sense. But it helps people, I think, to understand the conversations that we have with each other are not always going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean we should be screaming at each other. It doesn't mean we should be shutting down. But how we choose to engage, um, if we think about that ahead of time, and we think about it carefully and tailor it to the situation that we're in, um, can lead to a much more fruitful conversation. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it, it is really surprising, Christine, that how how just how many different people have reached out to us and and use the framework in spaces that are that go well beyond social justice education, um, you know. And in addition to some of the great examples that Christy has shared, you know, I'll put out there that um, have had some really interesting conversations with uh, our colleagues who work in identity-based resource centers within higher education, who are often navigating that interesting conversation about when is it helpful for us to utilize a framework like Brave Space? When does that really align with the kind of work that we're wanting to do? with students. And then also, when do we need something else, Uh right? It gives us a great opportunity to, to let folks know, like, just because we came up with the idea of brave space doesn't mean that we don't think safe spaces have value. And point of fact, there are a number of times where we really would want to encourage that or where we would use that in our own practice as well. You know, and it's really about thinking critically about how and when to utilize The framework. Um, So those conversations with with folks, you know, who are working, you know, mostly with groups of minoritized students and trying to help them figure out sometimes when they need to navigate challenging conversations with each other, that's been really cool. Uh, And then also just as someone who has been a member of various leadership teams, and now as somebody who coaches and consults and supports leaders who are who are sharing leadership around diversity, equity and inclusion issues. Cultivating brave spaces there has been really, really essential. You know, especially when you think about what kinds of things do groups of leaders need to do when they are trying to lead around these issues, when they're challenging the status quo, when they're when they're when they're going against the grain and and trying to re-examine, you know, long-standing and taken for granted ways of doing things. That's really hard to do. Uh, you know, to to disrupt, to question each other, right, around that. Uh, it can be really, really hard. And so so a lot of the concept and principles of Brave Space have really been resonant in that work, too, in, in terms of helping, again, groups of leaders, teams of leaders to think about as folks who are going to share responsibility, who are going to commit to doing this kind of work at our institution and in our areas together, how is it that we are co-creating brave space for and with each other.
1: Mm -hmm. I wanna go there next, but you said there are some times where safe space would be better than brave space. Can you give us a couple examples about when safe space you think would be a better fit than brave space? I think that's really interesting and a little bit more detail. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, I'll say um, pretty much any kind of event or space that you are convening Uh, to address some kind of trauma or harm that has Mm -hmm. emerged for a community, those are not spaces where where I would say brave spaces is the approach you want to go for, right? It doesn't seem aligned to the objective, because if the objective is we just need to create an opportunity for folks who are navigating a really, really difficult time or moment uh, to process that, to get support, to connect, to heal, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are spaces where we don't need to be thinking about um, the the kinds of things that we're encouraging folks to think about in a brief challenging,
1: break. pushing, expanding, making people right. Feel
2: comfortable. Right, right. That's not the time for that.
1: Great. Right,
2: right. Um, you know, and so so that's, I mean, that's really the main objective or the, the main kind of situation that, that I can think of. Um, but again, I, I think what's interesting is that um, a lot of folks you know, what we've observed is that they, they gravitate toward this idea of brave space that really uh, resonates with them that makes so much sense in so many aspects of their practice, uh, but then can sort of end up supplanting right other mm-hmm. other approaches or frameworks. And so just kind of again recognizing that that you know depending on what you're trying to do, you know safe space might be more aligned. And I think especially you know when there's been you know critical incidents in the world, critical incidents on campus that have particular negative impact, on specific minoritized student communities. Again, those are examples of times where, where safe space might be a better approach. Yeah. And and, bra- and even if it's not safe space, that perhaps brave space isn't what you need to be right. Right. aiming for either.
1: I can even imagine a conversation where I might be in where situation like you just described, where I really wanting to create the safety and processing and, and opening and really being as supportive as possible might then shift into a little bit more brave space as Now we're talking about where do you want to go next? What be, might be next steps? I, I love that brave space isn't a one size fits all. It means this all the time, every time, but it's really creating an environment where people can contribute, take some risks, try some things, be open, um, and also um, get out of this performative getting it right, <laughs> right, or being right, but more into a getting it right and learning and trying things. That's where the learning happens. Christy, how do you create brave space? Like, how do you go about doing that?
0: Yeah, well, I also want to say, you know, I I think that there's a misperception that because we are talking about brave spaces and writing about brave spaces that we don't think that safe spaces are valuable. And I think that safe spaces like Trigger warnings and political correctness. Those are these phrases that get thrown around in popular media and because of the way there's some derision attached to them Mm -hmm. that people are like, "Ah, well, you can't have a brave conversation if you don't feel safe. We Mm -hmm. have to create those environments of safety and some trust before we can uh, even consider stepping Mm -hmm. to that next level of, Mm -hmm. of asking people to display bravery within a group of folks that they may or may not know all that well. And so, you know, one of the things that is most important to me about the Brave Space framework is that it's a jumping off point mm-hmm. that we don't say these are the five or six things the have the agreements and, and this is it it's a discussion and it's a facilitated um iterative conversation with the group that you're working with and I think as facilitators you can sort of read the room and if it's not flying with this group for a particular reason then you have the option to either poke at it a little bit more or mm-hmm. let people sit with the concept a little bit more um it, it really isn't that one size fits all which is what I think makes it helpful but it does I think about it in terms of progress, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just putting these these agreements on the wall and ignoring them for the rest of your time together. We're striving towards them at all times. We're trying to hold ourselves infidelity to to those things and and asking people to take a little bit of risk, which can be really challenging. Um, so having that foundation of safety in the room in your environment um, related to the topic that you're discussing, I think is the most important foundation. Um, and it's not always achievable, uh, which is why we have that off-ramp option.
1: Yeah. I love framing it in that way. Um, and then when someone is really brave, like they share a really difficult thing, whether it's sharing something personal, or I really disagree with where we're going as a group, to just be like, wow, thanks, Christy, for for really modeling that brave mm-hmm. space. Like, is, Did everybody see that? That's what we're talking about. And And it becomes this rather than this contrarian or this bummer or why did that happen or now there's conflict, it becomes this, oh, that's what we're here for. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh,
1: to engage with that, to not avoid things like that. And Mm -hmm. you just see people go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And it even opens some of that up. So I I love just, you know, not just setting it up, but noticing Mm -hmm. and pointing that out and what opens up. What would you add here, Brian?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of other ways to even go about, you know, cultivating or co-creating mm-hmm. brave spaces with people that, you know, in the chapter, we, we talk a lot about how we used, you know, ground rules, community agreements, you know, there's lots of different terms now that, that um, are out there for, for again, just, just what it is that a group decides in order for us to be brave for, for and with each other, what do we need to do, you know, for that to be possible? Uh, what what commitments do we need to make, mm-hmm. and and so that still is a big part of uh, a big tool that we utilize in our practice and in working with other folks who are looking to become more skilled at facilitating in brave spaces. Uh, that list of possible you know uh, group agreements is expanded. Uh, you know I feel like every time I work with a new group, it's like I add something else to the list of things that I like to to include, right? And and sometimes it's about you know proposing you know an agreement you know to the group. Um, sometimes it's about you know inviting a group to think about you know what an agreement actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for I mean, oftentimes people will talk about you know oh let's let's have respect right or let's uh, you know let's talk about like not judging each other right. Mm-hmm. And those actually aren't necessarily bad things right. But but if we do invite conversation in that moment around. I mean, for example, around attacks like what. What is an attack right? When you say no attacks, what do you mean by that? And in the context of a conversation where maybe we need to to be able to give each other you know difficult feedback or to offer a different opinion, uh, how, how is it possible for us to do that in a way that is not an attack right and having an explicit conversation about that before there's even been you know that moment arising is often very helpful for folks to really think about that because again I think that sometimes that's where you get tripped up in safe spaces where where people say right oh I don't feel safe because actually what what I what I feel is is just discomfort because someone has just presented me with a viewpoint that is uh-huh. different from what I'm you know what that I'm coming with sometimes it might be something that oh gosh that I feel embarrassed right because mm-hmm. I'm like I I'm, I'm noticing or paying attention to something about myself that doesn't feel comfortable and good to look at. Right. Uh, and uh and you know, so just having those kinds of conversations, you know, within groups so that they're really clear about, you know, when they say particular things and when they say they want to agree to doing particular things, what does that actually mean in practice and not letting it go, you know, just sort of uh on assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I'll also say even before that, if there's time and sometimes there's just not time, right? I mean, Christy and I will like I'm sure you too keep get, we, you know we get requests all the time for like, can you come in and do like a one hour training on diversity, please? <laughs> Which you Super know easy. The answer is no. Uh, but but like sometimes like but but what could I do in that time frame, right? I I can't even have a full conversation with folks about what it would mean to co-create Brave Space, right, in a a one-hour time frame. We're going to try them right here, right now. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. But but if I do have, like, lots and lots of time, right, available uh, for that, um, or even just, like, an hour, right? Like, I love to just start out talking with people and say, like, you know, a lot of times you might be used to coming into a space like this and your facilitator might say that they're aiming to create a safe space, right? And and that's not the approach that I'm bringing here today. The approach I'm bringing here is brave space, and but I want to talk with you a little bit about that. And then I just ask them questions, right? Uh-huh. So like, what do you, you think about safe space? What do you think about, right? Mm-hmm. What could and I ask them also like, what could be beneficial about a safe space? So, you know, when might that be helpful? Mm-hmm. Before I ask them questions about like, what you know, what may be different for you? What comes up that sounds different or feels different with respect to the idea of brave space? to ask them to share their thoughts around like what where that might be helpful or beneficial and the kind of conversation we're about to have. And quite honestly, I mean, I don't think I've ever had that conversation with any group of people where they haven't had the wisdom already around mm. j- just being asked those questions. They, they are able to, to, to very clearly arrive at like, oh, yeah, right. We, we, we can see how this would be helpful mm. in this context. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and what it is you're asking us to do. And so then that really is a wonderful way to then set the stage, right? For helping folks to say like, and and so then what are the behaviors, right? What are the commitments and promises we make to each other about how we talk to one another so that, you know, we can all practice bravery in this space.
1: I love that you use the word cultivating and co-creating because I think a lot of what this brave space shift is, um, sharing responsibility with the participants and not just being the facilitator in control in charge and fully responsible but sharing that and that that co-creating um is really powerful just in and of itself right Mm -hmm. before you even get into whatever the topic might be and 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 that's how learning works right like if i'm completely comfortable i don't have to learn new ways of knowing being or doing to go through that now if i'm completely uncomfortable I'm not going to learn either because i'm going to shut down and retreat and so what's what's the sweet spot I and mean, what the sweet spot might be in this conversation of the the right mix of a little bit of discomfort to foster learning might be completely different in another context might be mm-hmm. completely different for me than it is for brian right mm-hmm. and you know you're working with 25 people they're bringing all of that and so i love this the the ambiguity the openness the flexibility to really be authentic and be in the moment and be alive with it rather than be, well, at nine Oh five, the facilitator said, and so now right. it's three 30 and things are dicey. And so now we're stuck, right. Is really powerful.
0: I think it both, externalizes and personalizes the the framework so you know you agree ahead of time and then when you have those hot and spicy moments you can say Mm -hmm. just as you you know refer but like hey this is a great example remember what we all agreed to it's Mm -hmm. not just me as the facilitator who you may have never met before today coming in to say hey that's not how we talk to people here that's not useful Um, it might be necessary depending on what the comment is right but um the having that shared sense of ownership, I think, brings everyone in, regardless of where they're entering the conversation. If they are really nervous and sort of pinging up, you know, anxiety-wise, or if they're really comfortable, um, or if they just came to the conversation to start to really get into it, which is fine too, um, it allows both folks to. Both feel like there's an external sort of box that we've drawn of like here are the frameworks, here's the agreements that we came to, and also these are the agreements that you agreed to and mm-hmm. and added to and helped to cultivate and build. So I think it can be, I think it's essential when you're having these conversations um, where you know that people are going to be pushed, pushing, pushing, and pushed to the learning mm-hmm. edges, um, and without the without the framework that they have bought into, uh, things right. can go pretty off the (laughs)
1: rails i also imagine it can change right like oh this is getting difficult we wanted brave space do we need to do something different now to help people be brave or do we need a break to Mm -hmm. recenter do we need to take a mindfulness moment and do a breathing activity or what do people need to return to a place where you feel like we can be brave
0: We've had that. I mean, Brian, right. I'm thinking of one uh session that we did for student leaders where we're like, this is not working. Mm-hmm. We're gonna need to take a break, like and, and the two of us sort of got together to say, where how how do we bring this back to where it needs to be? We've mm-hmm. our, what has happened has happened. We're gonna need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then how do we help to redirect this group um so that we can continue to have productive conversations and do the things that we came here to do? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which sometimes, right? You have to give yourself the space as facilitators, right? To 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 know, like, I I need as the person responsible for helping this group to do what it's here to do. I need a minute to make sure that I have the right plan, you know, with my with my coworker, right? If we're doing that together, Um, uh, and then right to to, and oftentimes that 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 moment is really about strategizing about the best way or the optimal way to invite that group back into to awareness, right, mm. of those commitments they made, and also to understand, like, are these still, are these still working, right? Do we, do we still want or need these in these moments? If we don't, what's changed, yeah. you know, and what, and and why might we want to do something different, you know, all of which I think helps that group, again, to, to think critically about, is this because the nature of our conversation has shifted in a way where, where really we don't, think that we need to be practicing brave space or we need to do something different to practice brave space anymore you know or is it is it just that space and that invitation to really reflect on um am, am i just afraid to do this right yeah. is is That's is it a really hard thing for yeah. me to do and and i'm just really um Uh, worried about doing that and why right like that that's a fine thing also like that we're not saying that it's bad if if that's your experience but also then to ask folks to think about what what is it that is causing that fear to come up right Right. and and in particular right around social justice issues if the fear that's coming up is where I'm now I'm now needing to look at an aspect of my dominance and my privilege that I am not comfortable looking mm-hmm. at. Right? If that's the reason that you no longer want to practice bravery, you need to think, you need to be aware of that, right? You need right. to know that and, and you need to decide you know, what, what you want to do based on that information uh, in a mindful way, as opposed to simply saying, I'm uncomfortable, we can't do this anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Your comments about needing a uh, space for facilitators to regroup reminds me that before I was a parent, I thought timeouts were for children. <laughs> and now I, re- there, I realize timeouts are for grownups <laughs> to regather, regroup their patients, come back to this. Uh, will we started with the origin story, sort of this, uh, this experience that left things amiss from what your intentions, coming up with this idea and sharing it, and it's sort of growing beyond you um, and becoming this thing that you're slightly amazed is still out there and people are still utilizing in all these different ways. And it grows beyond you. So what are some of the challenges, the cautions, the nuances you would want to share with folks who maybe have heard about Brave Space, not from the two of you or have um, maybe seen it used or used it, um, not the way that you particularly intended? What would you you want to put out there for folks?
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. Um, I, I,
0: I want to give Brian a shout first that um, as my diligent co author and friend that Brian often reminds me that we do not own the words brave space. And that is a good de escalation tool for me when I'm like, this is not right. This is not the way that we intended it and the words can mean really different things. So I think it's a great jumping off point for us to get into that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, there's the term brave space and then there's the framework that Christy and I have developed mm-hmm. and cultivated over time, right, in collaboration with other educators who have helped us and with students, right, who have also helped us to refine it. Um, but, but I think the the, the term brave spaces is, is pretty well known and it's often used in a way that is disconnected from that framework, right, and so people might say they're aiming to create a brave space that doesn't mean they're trying to do the thing that Christy and I have talked about. Right with that term. And so I think that's a that's certainly one thing that is worth noting here. Um you know, I think uh my hope, especially for folks who are trying to draw a connection between, you know, from you know, the work that Christy and I have done, you know, to what they're doing around brave Space, is that, you know, I, I get concerned sometimes when when I observe what looks to me like cherry picking from our framework. Um you know, in particular, cherry picking around the things like, "Oh yes, we we want people to feel free to say whatever the heck they want, right?" Um, and oftentimes, I mean, my perception is that it, it it might be from folks who are who are not actually supportive of DEI social justice work, um, really wanting to to say this is giving me license to say whatever racist, sexist, heterosexist, homophobic, cissexist, whatever thing that I want to say, right? And that should be fine without accountability in a great space, right? um without accountability right um and i think that you know uh, so i would just really caution folks you know when they if they hear folks trying to evoke safe space or brave space in that way you know it's just to really recognize that that we we're, we're crystal clear in the model that, that 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 there is an analysis of power privilege and oppression that must be present to really understand what it is that we were talking about mm-hmm. um and so and when and when that's missing that's when that's one of the times where I think things go awry. That's one of the times where people, I think perhaps get a bad taste left in their mouths around what brave space is um, uh, And so I just yeah, really just wanting to emphasize that piece around um, just just again that the, the the not taking out the social justice components that are really a part of the DNA of what Christy and I envisioned.
1: And we do want people to say what they really think and how they really feel and have other people share. Here's how that impacts me. And here's what I've right. learned about that and have that accountability. Cause I think those moments can be transformative when they're not yeah. weaponized and when there is accountability and it can really bring that, that learning and transformation in yeah. What other cautions and nuances, Christy, Do you want to share?
0: I think just a reminder that it's not a band-aid or some sort of magical balm for all your problems on your campus and off. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen this cyclically through the ages. I think it was intergroup dialogues and then it's restorative mm-hmm. justice and that you know it can be brave space like oh well, this is you know we're just going to apply brave spaces and we'll be fine. It's not like take two Advil and call me in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And so the to, to get you know it building on what Brian was saying that you can't divorce this framework and our intentionality from talking about systems of power and privilege and oppression. Um, But I think that some people see it as an easy, an easy way to just like, well, this is a brave space. So, you know, everything's fine. Nobody worry about it. And you're in that way, you're doing the same thing that we encountered 20 years ago with people saying, this is a safe space, safe space. So everyone needs to be okay with it. Um, And so those are the things that make me nervous um when we just see these assertions of well we're creating brave spaces well are you and and how and how is that connected to this work and if it's not that's fine um but we should at least talk about that we've you know dipped back in particularly since 2016 on um when we see brave spaces being used in a way that's actually causing harm mm-hmm. um and thought about do we have some responsibility to address this or to update the chapter or do a new presentation, um, and we haven't done that yet because I think the work- You're doing and, it now. And, well, <laughs> true, true, but I think, you know, people are going to take take what they want from the work and it will evolve the way it is. We're clear in what our understanding and our expectation is when people are using the framework as intended, um, and, you know, beyond that, we can just remind folks of the, of the appropriate utilization- and the mm-hmm. potential harm that it can cause when mm-hmm. it's used inappropriately.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference between people who maybe are misusing it despite good intentions, who are genuine in their approach but maybe missing, and folks who are disingenuously using it for their own agendas, right? That's, that's really different. Yeah. Um, before we move to our final question, is there anything either of you wants to say about Brave Space that you haven't gotten a chance to say yet?
2: I mean, maybe maybe just, you know, to put out there. I mean, I think the last paragraph of our of our book chapter, we we say something to the effect of, you know, we expect this framework will continue to grow and evolve. We would love to hear from you and and to oh. connect with you to help this framework to continue to grow and evolve. And there's no question, right, that we the our practice of Brave Space, our understanding of what it is and could be has transformed dramatically because of the amazing DEI social justice educators and students, right, who have been generous with their wisdom Mm -hmm. uh, and and shared with us, right, here's how we're using it, here's how we're experiencing this, here's some thoughts about, you know, how we could use it in different spaces and use it well, um, as well as like, here's a concern I have, right, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, well, I guess I'd just love to put out there, right, that we continue to really want to hear from folks, especially folks who are also DEI and social justice educators, uh, to help us like keep keep this thing alive and growing, right, and mm-hmm. and uh, and adapting to the 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 new things that we learn as a society, right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as as the universe of DEI expands constantly, right, um, how how does Brave Space need to transform in order to, 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 to be useful You know, in, in that work? So please let us know. Yeah, contact yeah. us. I love that you're brave <laughs> about talking about Brave Space. That's great. <laughs> totally. Yes.
1: Well, we are running out of time. And so uh, our last question is always on student affairs now. What are you thinking, troubling, pondering mm-hmm. now? It might be about Brave Space. It might be about this conversation. It might be about other things. But just really want to know what's kind of with you in this moment. And then also folks want to connect with you and maybe share some of those thoughts. Um, where might they be able to connect with you? Christy, let's start with you. What are you what's with you now?
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, I have been watching our students really struggle with developing and executing critical thinking skills. And I don't know how much that is my placement at an elite Ivy League institution of students who think I need to do these five things in order to be successful um, and not necessarily always thinking about when obstacles arise, what they do with that. Where that's evolved to is observing that students are really unable to have difficult conversations. Um, I see that in my Title IX coordinator role when folks are coming not to talk about issues of sexual misconduct, but, you know, this person wants to be my friend and I don't want to be their friend. And I would say, Have you told them that? And they can't even begin to think about how to have that conversation. And so whether that's pandemic effect or other stuff, you know, I'm not I'm not sure, but it's really pervasive in the um, campus environments that I'm observing. And so part of the reason that I got involved with developing the dialogue project is to instead of just observing it. Let's think about doing something about it. Um, and rather than putting that work just on our student affairs professionals, thinking out of, about a way that we can infuse that work through all of the things that we're doing at our institution, in the classroom, uh, in student affairs work, in you know, student interpersonal, student leadership roles, um, and, and trying to drill down on that. What are those skills that are missing? Mm-hmm. And how do we teach them in a way that doesn't just teach to folks who will opt into the conversation, but really raises the temperature for the entire institution. Um, So that is an interesting, an interesting thing that we've been working on that really is an offshoot of like, huh, this is a real problem. We should probably Mm -hmm. do something about that. So we'll see how it goes. Um, And I think, you know, like all of us who have been doing BJ work for a long time watching the coordinated and calculated attacks on this work on our college campuses um, intended to devalue the good work that's been done to recast it in a, in a way that is inaccurate. Um, I worry about the state of higher education um, as I read the Chronicle and inside higher ed every day and say, wow, like state by state, institution by institution, to what end, you know, what what is what does the end of this look like? And I, I just don't know. So I think that we need to be talking about that and how to combat that instead of just passively saying, well, this is happening. Um, yeah. What can we do as practitioners to push back on that?
1: Yeah,
2: awesome. Brian, what's with you now? Yeah, uh, well, just connecting to what Christy said, right? That That one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about um, and, and certainly informed by by a, a number of amazing thought leaders in the DEI space, uh, is in the face of all of these attacks uh, on DEI, and I'm and I say specifically DEI because it's very rare that that some of these critiques actually say diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right? It's um, it's punchy to say DEI must die, mm-hmm. um, but when you ask someone back like diversity must die, is that really um, e- equity should not be something we're striving for. In- in- inclusion is a problem. Um most people are like, no, 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 not, no, just de- DEI, right? Which has been cast in this particular way. Right. Uh, and so um I'm just a lot more strategic these days and thinking thinking more critically about when do I want to use DEI because that's language that my audience will understand as as I intend it to be. Mm-hmm understood? And when do I want to be real explicit about DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Because especially if you're skeptical of it, if you're concerned about it, um, I I want you to know, right, those are the words that we're talking about here. And those words have powerful meaning that I think most people actually do connect with in some level. And so um, I've just really been appreciating some of the things that are out there, you know, especially as some Organizations and companies are walking back, right? I'm trying to think, what can we say instead of DEI? Is to think about maybe you don't want to do that, right? Maybe sometimes it's it's good to continue saying DEI, or sometimes maybe you just want to be real explicit about what that that acronym actually stands for, you know, in every aspect of that word, um, you know. And I think related again to this, the same thing is is um, uh, In in a context of all these attacks on DEI, in higher ed in particular, I um, I think a lot about the experiences of higher education leaders, and specifically leaders with minoritized and marginalized identities, who are navigating these attacks, um, who are experiencing, you know, deep, tremendous negative impacts uh, to their careers, to their health and well-being as a result of these kinds of attacks. Uh, and wanting, especially as somebody who focuses uh, in my day-to-day work on supporting DEI leadership, is I'm, I'm really trying to think about, like, what, what opportunities are there out there for me to make sure that I'm focusing that work uh, in a way that really makes a positive difference in the experiences of marginalized and minoritized leaders uh, who uh, who we desperately need, right, um, And yeah. who, and for whom it would be completely understandable to say, I'm not into this anymore. Right. Um, but for folks who are who are saying I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not ready to to throw in the towel here. I, I want to stick with this, is really thinking about, okay, what can I do and what can all of us do, of course, mm-hmm. um, to uh to to help folks who are committed to that work to stay in that work, right? Yeah. Um and so uh had also asked, I think, where folks can connect with us. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to, so I'm uh, I'm I'm on a couple socials, uh, Instagram Dr. Brian Arau and LinkedIn as well. Uh, and then of course you can always go to BraveSpaceLeadership.com and you can find both Christy and I there wow. and read about all the different things that we do uh, through Bravespace Leadership. And uh, and if you want to contact us there, we've got a contact form on the yeah. site as well. Awesome.
0: Thank you. I forgot about that. I also have a LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to contact me. Awesome. Great.
1: Well, thank you both for joining us and talking about this little idea that has grown and sprouted and now is rooted and maybe a big oak (laughs) tree. Um, It's really great to hear about how it came to be. And I love you sharing it with us and also sharing the complexities of of it with us today. So thank you. Um, And thanks to our sponsors for today's episode, both Huron and Leadership. Huron is a global professional services firm that collaborates with clients to put possible into practice by creating sound strategies, optimizing operations, accelerating digital transformation, and empowering businesses and their people to own their future. By embracing diverse perspectives, encouraging new ideas, and challenging the status quo, they create sustainable results for the organizations they serve. And leadership. Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences for students and professionals, with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more about Leadership, or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us all look and sound good. And we love the support for these important conversations from you, our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to the podcast, subscribing on YouTube, or subscribing to our weekly newsletter, where you'll learn about each new episode every Wednesday morning. If you're so inclined, you can also leave us a five-star review. It really helps us reach more folks. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guest today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week.